Thank you, Hayes. Thank you, worship band. Can we give them a thank you as they lead us uh, in singing today? Merry Christmas. We can do better than that. Merry Christmas. It's good to have you here. Some of you are newer faces to me. Maybe you're a guest, a friend, a family member. Maybe coming out of town, we want to welcome you. Thanks for being here. I'm Pastor Nate. I'm the lead pastor here. I love a, an opportunity to say hello and Merry Christmas to you. Uh, after the service, come say hello in the lobby. Um, we are going to be in John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can grab that. Go to John chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the one in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. It's a gift to you. Take that and read it. We encourage you to read it. Uh, and even maybe start in John, where we are. We've been walking through this Advent season, and Advent is really just a, a fancy way of saying a, a longing, an expectation, a waiting period. And we are kind of placing ourselves 2,000 years ago in the place of waiting where the people of Israel were, expecting, waiting for the Messiah to come. And so we wait, as it were, for Christmas Tomorrow, we're finally at the end of this. We've been walking through John chapter 1 in the prologue, John 1, 1 to 18, throughout this Advent season. And now we, all of this culminates with the very last verse of this prologue, John chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to give a little context. Look at verse 14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Father, as we read this text today, as we dwell upon these deep truths as we swim around it and try to understand what is written here. Illuminate our hearts. Shine your light as the light of the world into our hearts so that today we might see you in a new way. We might gaze upon your face in our mind's eye. You might awaken something in us, something about who you are. Speak through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's the story, and then there's the story behind the story. I'll give you an illustration of that. Maybe, let's say you went on a first date, okay? And uh, you get home after your date, and your best friend starts texting you, and they say to you, so, how was it? How was the date? And one way you could tell the story of the date is something like this. You could say, well, he picked me up at 6. We went out to dinner at Lafia on Market Street. And then we went to the Queen to watch a show. And then we talked for a little bit, and he dropped me off at 10.30. That's one way to tell the story, the facts and the timeline and some kind of the setting of the story, right? But what would you expect your friend to text you back? Your friend is going to text you back, okay, but how was it, how was the date? They want to know, did, did you like him? Did you not like him? Was he super creepy? And this was like the last date you're going to go on with this guy? Or is he like, oh my goodness, this is the dream 
I, I, the guy I've been waiting for, and there's a second and third, and I hopefully a ring coming at the end of one of these dates. I mean, what kind of date was it? This is the story behind the story. See, there's a Christmas story, and then there's a story behind the Christmas story. There's a Christmas story about Mary and Joseph and the baby and the manger and the wise men and the shepherds and the angels. And then there's the story behind the story. And this is the story that John is really after. If you read through John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, he's telling us the greatest story ever told, but he's telling the story behind the greatest story ever told. The story without uh, the angels, the, the story without the baby in Bethlehem and the star and all the familiar components of the Christmas story. Because what John wants you to know, John wants you to know is why does any of this matter? What, what does it matter for us that a baby was born back 2,000 years ago in the Middle East to a pr- pretty irrelevant poor couple of teenagers. Why does any of this matter? What John wants us to know is that this baby was born God, the creator, the the sustainer, the reason for all existence, that he was born in the flesh, God incarnate, to be with us, to really, truly be with humanity, that we might have life that never ends. That's his hope for us as we read. Now, the incarnation... God coming in the flesh is entirely unique to Christianity. Did you know that? There's no other ism or ology, no other faith story, no other religion other than Christianity that claims that their founder, their leader, is God in the flesh. No other religion claims that. See, if Jesus came like the other religious leaders, you know, all the other religious leaders essentially claim to be pointing to God or something about God. And if that's who Jesus was, then we might put Jesus up next to Muhammad and Confucius and Buddha and, you know, Rabbi Schmierson and any of the other, you know, leading uh, thought leaders or religious leaders out there in the world. You know, each has a, a piece of the pie that they get to share about who God is, and they're all essentially equal. But see, you can't do that with Christianity because our leader didn't claim to just be pointing to God. He claimed to be God himself. Well, that's a game changer. That shifts everything. And his followers, like John and and the others that followed Jesus, came to believe this unbelievable claim that Jesus was God. Now, let me ask you a question. Any of you have a doppelganger? Do you know a doppelganger? Somebody that people tell you, like a famous person that people tell you you look like. Any of you have that person in your life? Okay, a little bit. So um, about a decade ago, there was uh, the series of movies, the Divergent movies. Do you remember the Divergent movies? Like the teens really liked them about 10 or 15 years ago. And during that craze of, of Divergent movies, I would have many people tell me that I look like Theo James. Now, I don't know if you see the resemblance in there. I'm going to take the silence to say that you don't see much resemblance there. Um, Now, when people would tell me that, I would say, okay, maybe there's some resemblance, and maybe 15 years ago I looked more like him than I do today. But um, I would say, yeah, I'm the worst-looking, 
less fit, less talented, far less wealthy version of Theo James. And one time I decided to have a little bit of fun with this. Um, I told a few teenagers that I was Theo James' twin brother. And they actually believed me. I'm not, I'm not joking with you. You actually believe that I was Theo James' twin brother and I said my name was Simon because I thought it'd be funny to say, you know, Theo, Theodore, Simon, like the, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so I said, hey, I can, I, can, uh, I can FaceTime with him if you want. Would you like to FaceTime with Theo and say hello? And they're like, oh my goodness, no way. I was like, well, it's gonna cost you something, just a little bit. Uh, okay, anything, anything. Now, just so you know, I didn't do this. That would have been wrong. They were very gullible teenagers, and I didn't do that. I did tell them who I was. But it's one thing for people to think that you might look like someone. It's another thing to say, well, maybe you can convince them that you are somebody that you're not if you really look a lot like them. It's a whole completely different story to convince a bunch of Jewish people 2,000 years ago that you are God. And let me explain why that is. See, of all people, the Jewish people would have been the least likely to believe that a human being could be God. Now, I suppose if Jesus would have come first to the Greek people, that maybe he would be able to convince Greeks that he was a God, because the Greeks might have thought, well, depending on how you look, if you, if you look a certain way, if you talk like the philosophers, you know, if you look like you're chiseled out of stone, if you're athletic, maybe they would think that you are a God. Or I suppose if Jesus would have came to the Eastern religions who believed that God uh, was sort of inside of each of us, he could have said perhaps that you know, he was a God. But Jesus didn't come to the Greeks first. He didn't come to the Eastern world first. He came to Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish and he came to Jewish people first. What did the Jewish people think about who God was? The Jewish people believed what the Torah claimed, what the law and the prophets claimed about God, that God dwells in unapproachable light, that, that God is beyond anything in this world, that he is ultimate power, that he is, he is a God that dwells in the heavens, completely sovereign and other. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah, the prophet, had a vision of God in the throne room of God in heaven, it was such a vivid vision, it was so close to the real thing that even though he, he just saw the hem of the robe of the Lord filling the temple, all he could do was fall to the ground and hide himself, and he began crying, woe to me, I am ruined, I am a man of unclean lips. See, God was so holy, he thought for sure, I'm a dead man before the holiness of God. I can't even look near the glory of God. This is why the angels in that vision, it says as they approached the throne of God, they had two wings covering their eyes. God was so holy that they couldn't even look upon him. Think about Moses, the great Moses, who boldly asked God to see his glory. That is to see the face of God. He wanted to see the face of God. And you know what God said? He essentially said, Yo, that's a death wish. This is the way God said it in, in Exodus 33, 20. You cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And he was only permitted to see his afterglow, you know, the, the back of God's glory. Right? This, is, this is the God that the Jewish people had in their minds, in their culture. 
And yet somehow Jesus got Jews to believe that he was God. Not God-like, not a doppelganger, not a messenger from God, not an angel, but God in the flesh. I mean, that is incredible. That is unfathomable. Unless, of course, unless somehow, when they looked at him, when they really gazed at him, when they walked with him and observed his life, when they saw his virtue, when they saw his miracles, when they heard his teachings, when they saw how tender he was with the outsider and the marginalized, how compassionate and filled with mercy and truth and perfection, when ultimately they saw him die a death he did not deserve and rise from the dead, somehow, when they saw the glory of the face of God in Jesus, they believed. They believed that he was God full of grace and truth, as John says here in his gospel. See, once they saw Jesus for who he really was, they would never be the same. Their lives were completely changed because of it. It changed the purpose of their life. They went from living from themselves to living for Jesus and showing other people who Jesus really is. It changed their identity, how they saw themselves as children of God, as belonging to Christ, that the greatest thing about who they are is that they are children of God because of Jesus. It changed their entire uh, and their eternal future. They experienced forgiveness and a relationship with God that would never, ever end. And so if all we see, if all we experience in Christmas is the manger and Joseph and Mary and the baby and the wise men and the shepherds and the lowing cattle, as great as that story is, if that's all we see, we've actually missed the greatest story ever told. We need to get to the story behind the story. John wants us to know and experience in the Christmas story He wants us to look into the face of Jesus, really gaze at him, look like as the disciples did, walking with him, reading about him in the Gospels, and come to believe that he really truly is who he said he was, God in the flesh. Now, why does any of this matter to us today, 2,000 years later? Why does it matter that this baby was born outside the town in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph? Let me just give you two thoughts to ponder this Christmas. The Christmas story matters because God has revealed himself to us, not just to them. Way back then, he's revealed himself to you and me in Jesus. I hear sometimes people say, um, you can't really know God. I mean, how can you know God? We can't see him. How can we really know God? Yeah, maybe you can get some vague idea of who God is using logic or looking at creation, looking at the world, or, you know, just through some subjective feelings. But that's different for everybody. You know, God is sort of different for everyone depending on what they think and what they feel about God. Well, if the Christmas story is true, the real Christmas story, if that's true, then you can't say that about God. You can't say that God is subjective and unknowable and it's different for everybody else because we can see him, we can know him, because he entered space and time. He entered history in a singular time in a real practical way in Jesus Christ. So what is God like? Somebody asked you, well, what is God like? You know, what 
What does God care about? What makes him mad? You ever think about what makes God mad? What makes God sad? What makes God elated and full of joy? What do you think God wants us to know about him? What does he say is true morally? How does he want us to live? How does he feel about me? How does he feel about you? If he were here, what would he say to me? You ever ask these questions? Do you know that every single one of these questions that I just asked and many more are answered in the gospels, the four gospels in the Bible? Every single one of those. You wanna know what God, who he is and what he thinks about you and what is true? Read it in the gospels in the life of Jesus. Have you ever attempted to look at the sun just on a sunny, cloudless day and you just stare up at the sun? I don't recommend it, not a good idea. You stare into the sun maybe for a second and you, you sort of wince your eyes and you look up and it blinds you. You have to look away. It starts to blur your vision. It, it'll blind you. You can't really look directly at the sun. But if you got a really good pair of like Ray-Bans, all right, or if you get a, a telescope and that has the right kind of filter, you can look into the sun. You can, in fact, stare into the sun. And when you stare into the sun, you can start to get contours and its colors. And, and then with a really good telescope, you can actually see its its power and its beauty and its intricacies in, in its rays. If you try to look at God outside of Jesus, you, you might get a, a few glimpses of who he is, but you kind of have to look away. You can't really get a good picture of who God is. But when you look at Jesus, when you look into the face of Jesus, you see who God is. You see God filtered in the flesh in Jesus. You get to see his power. You get to see his beauty. You get to see Jesus full of grace and truth. Jesus is God demystified. Jesus is God explained. And he wants to explain himself to you and to me. What a privilege. Do you know him? Why else is Christmas? Why is the Christmas story? Why does it matter for us 2,000 years later? Finally, because it reveals God's love demonstrated in Jesus Christ. It reveals God's love demonstrated to us in Christ. How do we know God loves us? People say that a lot. Oh, God loves you. How do you know that's true? How do you know that God loves you? It might be kind of subjective to know sometimes in this life. If you just use your life to determine the answer to that, it might be a little bit subjective. If you look at the circumstances of our world today and the war and the poverty and the challenges that are around us, maybe you say, well, maybe God doesn't love people. Or if you look inside your life, you know, it, our lives can look like a roller coaster. You might say sometimes when things are going really well for me, you know, when I score the touchdown on the football team or when I get really good grades or when my boss gives me a good bonus or when, you know, I'm really have a, in a great relationship or I'm really successful, I feel like God loves me. But what happens when things turn the other way, when you get benched on the team? Or instead of a bonus, you get, you know, the Jello of the Month Club uh, membership? Or, or you lose your job? What happens when your health starts to fade? Maybe you feel like, well, God, maybe God doesn't love me. See, if we just use the circumstances in this life, the sense of whether or not God loves you will ebb and flow. How do we know? 
Well, friends, if the Christmas story is true, it means that God definitively, constantly loves you. And you can bank on it. Let me allow another theologian to explain it, maybe better than I can. Bono of U2, listen to what he said. I remember coming back from a long tour. On Christmas Eve, I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And it dawned on me before, but it really sank in the Christmas story. The idea that God, if there is a love and logic in the world, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough that it would seek to explain itself and describe itself by becoming a child born in straw poverty, that's unfathomable. Unknowable love, he says, describes itself as the most vulnerable. I was sitting there and suddenly tears came down my face and I saw the genius of this, utter genius of picking a particular point in time. And then he closes by saying this, there must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. You hear what he's saying? He's absolutely right. God coming to us, God being with us, God being for us in this way, so humble, so vulnerable, to be a servant with us, this is a clear demonstration of his love. It's love made flesh. Ultimately, we know that his love was demonstrated to us not only a Christmas story, but an Easter, in his death and his resurrection to be a sin substitute for us so that he could pave the way for us to be with God forever and ever. What is more loving than that, than somebody who gives his life for his friends, as Jesus said? This is the Christmas story. So friends, as we we close this time together, I wanna encourage you, if you're here, maybe you haven't thought about this for a while, or maybe the Christmas story that you know is the one that's in the nativity set, and that's great. Can, Can you get behind the surface? Can you get to the story behind the story? Do you know why he wrote this story for you? Do you know why he came? Maybe God to you is like attempting to stare at the sun. It's been really hard to fathom and you've really not tried. You sort of turn away. See the invisible God made visible. Get to know God by getting to know Jesus. Look into the gospel, stare into his face, and see who he really is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you have not left us in this world groping in the darkness wondering who you are. You have revealed yourself to us because you want to get to know us and, we want, and you want us to get to know you. I pray, Lord, that we would get behind the Christmas story and really see what it is that you're after, that you love us, that you've demonstrated that in the incarnation, that we might seek you and find you as we know that you are not far from any one of us that you stand at the door and you knock, and that anyone who invites you in, that you will come in and dine with us, that you will be in a relationship with us that will never end. We thank you for Christmas, the greatest story ever told. That the, that the God who no one has ever seen and lived 
has been made known through Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you're here today, you don't, you're not sure if you really know Jesus or maybe you wanna explore this, maybe you're really new in your faith or you have lots of questions, we have a free gift for you. Out in the lobby, um, go and pick up a book. It's called Why Christmas. It's a really short book. It's a free gift for you. We'd love for you to pick it up, read it. It'll tell you more about who Jesus is, help you understand why he came. And this might be the best Christmas gift that you ever received today. Would you consider that?